For many weeks, our churches have been unable to have physical gatherings. But by God's mercy, the Church of Jesus Christ continues. The Southern Baptist Convention continues. For 175 years, we have pressed forward together through wars, disasters, plagues, economic downturns, and political upheavals. Our effort of proclaiming Christ around the world has never stopped. Your support, your prayers, your gifts, all of us working together as the body of Christ have kept our missionaries on the field over the decades and keeps them there now. God is at work around the world in the most amazing ways, and He is using you, your family, and your church to help your missionaries, our missionaries, as they move forward with the gospel. The Derbyshires partner with churches in the United States to lead mobile clinics all over Thailand using medicine as a means to share the gospel with those who have no other access. Christ is proclaimed, disciples are made, and churches are planted. In Kenya, IMB missionary Kristen Lowry believes the very best place for a child is in a family. That is why she is working alongside national Kenyan partners to rescue boys living on the streets, restore their lives, provide shelter, a trade, physical and spiritual nourishment, and reunite them with their families. The Worthy family has recognized the importance of investing in relationships and in Italian culture, which is why they have planted their lives in Italy for the past 17 years. College students, have dropped the term hard places from their vocabulary and are responding to go anywhere in the world where people don't have access to the gospel. We treasure Jesus and his gospel above all. But let us remember, we are not called to hoard the gospel, but to herald it far and wide. We are not called to stockpile the gospel, but to send it forth to those yet in darkness that they may see the light of Jesus Christ and live. First Peter chapter six in your Bible. We're coming to the end of a sermon series where we've been talking about the gift of limits, how God puts limits in our lives, but these limits are not meant to hold us back from God's goodness or back from the power of the gospel, but God gives us limits that then he actually uses to grow us in our faith and to advance the gospel. As we think about the idea of limited government, limited knowledge, limited power, limited relationships, limited time, and then today we talk about the idea of limited resources. All of us, no matter the church, no matter the person, no matter the family, we only have so many resources, so much money, so many physical resources, homes, cars, 
groceries, whatever the case might be. But we're not called to hoard those things. We're not called to stockpile those things. We're called to spread the good news of Jesus. And, and how do we do that with this idea of limited resources? And if you're watching at home and you think, man, I have the worst luck. I haven't watched a church service online in five months and I picked the money Sunday. Like, well, I'm sorry, that's, just, <laughs> that's your luck. But uh, it's not just the money Sunday. Hear my heart behind this. We're not just talking about what does it mean to give money to a church. We're talking about how do we respond to God's gifts in our life. We recognize that many people have been driven away from church and Christianity by the way that money and power have been dealt with in the church. I recognize that. I know there, you can be watching at home and carry a lot of hurt about church and Christianity because of the issue of money. But what we're trying to talk about today is how do we be good stewards of what God has given us? And just so you'll know, Emmaus, this is one of the great honors and joys of being a part of this church family. That when I walked in this morning, there was a little elementary guy running over to one of these boxes on the wall to put his envelope in there. A couple of weeks ago, walk in, high school, college kids, writing out a check, putting it in the box. We know if we don't give off minimum wage, we're probably not going to be giving off of salary as we get older, that we learn these things, we grow in these things. A church family that in 2020, of all years, is on track for our highest giving year in history of the church. A church family that, as we approved the 2021 budget, with all the uncertainties of 2021, was able to raise our mission giving, not lower it. Like, what does it mean to be a part of a church like that? A church where we have a group of people in another building right now putting together hundreds of bags that we're going to distribute this afternoon and tomorrow in the snow to people. What does it mean to honor God with our limited resources? 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to read a couple of verses, pray for us, and then we're going to look at God's word this morning. Starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... And just if you're curious, that's all of us. When you look at the scope of history and the scope of the globe, that's all of us. Charge them not to be haughty, not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, it's been so good to uh, sing together this morning, to see the lighting of the Advent candles, to think about the gospel going around the world through, through cooperative missions and giving. God, thank you for our friends who are here in the room. God, thank you for so many people connecting online at home right now, enjoying the snow outside, enjoying the opportunity to study your word together, even when it's through digital means. And God, guard our hearts against something this morning. We know it's easy to think, okay, the sermon's about money. I've got a lot of problems in life. I'm just going to check out. But God, I pray that you would use this morning, that you would use this idea of limited resources to remind us how good and generous you are toward us. God, that even as we study these scriptures, that our worship of you, our love of you would grow, and that that would change how we relate to the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so I don't do this very often, but I'm going to try an old school preacher story joke. Um, I, sometimes these don't come across very well, but I've really, I've got one for you, okay? So here, here's my preacher story joke uh, for you this morning. So one day, uh, there was a demon who was assigned to go out and go after a middle-aged businessman. This man had come to faith in Christ. He'd been successful in his business, and the enemy was worried that this man would be used by the Lord to spread the gospel. And so Satan gave this demon a job, go after this man and slow him down. So the enemy, the demon, went after this man. He began to fire fiery darts at him. But they didn't do anything because this man had the belt of truth and, and the breastplate of righteousness. And so the demon thought, I'll aim at his feet and I'll slow him down that way. Except his feet were covered with the hope of the gospel. And so he said, I'll aim higher. And so he aimed at his head, but the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And just as this man was getting ready to attack the demon with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the demon snuck around behind this man shot him in the wallet, and the guy fell over dead. All right, that's my attempt at an old school preacher story joke. We have the armor of God that you read about in Ephesians. We have the hope in Christ, and we're, we're good. We're, we're advancing, and what happens? The enemy comes after our wallet, and we just fall over dead. He comes after our resources and our money and how we handle the things that God has given us, and we don't know how to advance from there. This morning, we want to think about what is the connection between my wallet and my soul? What is the connection between all of these resources that God has given me and how I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? So, let's do what we've done for many weeks in a row. Let's lay that theology foundation, and then we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and find these directions from God's word. Okay, here's our theology foundation. First, we serve a God of unlimited resources. We serve a God who created all that exists, who owns all that exists, and who is the one who needs nothing. This famous verse out of Psalm chapter 50, where it says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. How many of us in our lives have not reached a point where we couldn't figure out how the finances in our home we're going to make it. Maybe your business was in trouble. Maybe your personal finances were in trouble. How good is Psalm chapter 50, verse 10 there, where you look at a spouse or a friend and say, you know what, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know he's gonna be able to see us through this period. I know that he is faithful. And, and don't miss the theology behind this, that we serve a God who needs nothing. This is where the Trinity which if we're not careful, the Trinity just becomes an extra add-on to theology as opposed to the core of our theology. If, if we just serve a single-person God, if we just seen, serve a single-person God who is primarily a ruler, do you know what that God needs? That God needs subjects. That God needs creatures to rule. But that's not the God that we serve. The God who we serve is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in love and joy and peace for all of eternity. So when that God creates, do you know what he wants? He wants sons and daughters. He wants children who worship and serve him and love him. We serve a God who needs nothing but who gives us everything. And that leads to the next piece 
the God of unlimited resources has created a humanity, has created a world in which we are dependent on him. Everything we have is a gift from God. None of us can create new matter. Everyone as a creature is dependent on God and we are interdependent on, on one another. Now, to show you an example of this, I have a pretty famous picture from the history of my family that I, I wanna show you right here. So this is a picture that shows up every once in a while around the holidays. Dramatic pause, do I have my picture? There we go. Okay, so what you have here in front of you are two gingerbread houses that were built in the niece family household. One of these houses was built by Owen and the other house was built by Amanda. Now is your opportunity to determine which of these houses was built by Owen and which was built by Amanda. Okay, I'll save you the trouble. The one on the left is the one that I built, all right, in our family when we put together the gingerbread house. The one on the right is the one that my wife built as the model that I was supposed to follow when building these gingerbread houses with, with the kids. Here's the deal. Her gingerbread house and my gingerbread house, do you know what they have in common? She did not create out of nothing the gingerbread to make her house. We both had to work with created matter. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how many material resources you have. Everything you have is ultimately from God. None of us are able to create and bring into being the things that we have. And you say, well, what's the big deal of that? Here's the big deal. Take Jeff Bezos and take the poorest person imaginable in the most impoverished third-person country. The distance between them is pennies when you think about the entire universe. And guess what? The more things that you own and the more money you have in this world, actually the more dependent you are on other people. You need people to work for you. You need people to buy the things that you have. You can have all the money and resources in the world, but that does not for a moment make you God, except for the moments when we think it does. Because when it comes to money and it comes to material resources, so quickly we began to treat those things as gods. Think about this idea. Think about this idea of sin and greed and death and the way it plays itself out in the world. That the things that God has given us are good gifts, but they are terrible gods. They will take over our lives. They will take over our hearts and our souls. This famous verse out of Romans chapter one, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. When you look around at our world and you see the brokenness and the sin, where does a lot of that come from? We worship and serve created things instead of the creator. We look at these things to give us life when only God is ultimately able to give us life. One of the things that got Adam and Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden, and frankly the thing that led them toward their rebellion, is they thought God was holding out on them. This idea that God is not ultimately good, that God is not ultimately wise, that God is not ultimately generous, and guess what? We live in a world where we're not, if we're not careful, we begin to think that God is holding out on us, that he's not ultimately good, that he's not ultimately wise, and so we begin to take these things that God has created and we make them our gods. We give our lives to these things that are ultimately meant to be gifts from God. And then we find ourselves in a real mess 
Because now we're living in sin, facing death, and guess what you can't do in that moment? You can never buy your way out of sin and death. When we are facing sin and rebellion against God, and it's all driven by these created matters, and we're standing before a holy God who is infinitely generous and gracious toward us, we can never buy our way out of that problem. And you say, well, people would never do that, Owen. Ah, there's, there's a mentality that if I just go to church and give God his due, or if I just give enough money to charity or give enough money to the church, somehow that's going to make me right with God, we realize how weak that sounds, right? That, that we would be able to buy our own salvation. So where's the Christian hope found? Jesus paid it all. Exactly what David led us to seeing this morning. Jesus paid it all. My hope in life is that on my own, I could never purchase the salvation that I need. Colossians chapter two says that we have a debt against us and do you know where that debt was canceled? It was canceled on the cross. It was canceled because Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. That when you read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks about the grace and the generosity of Jesus poured out on us. We see what he has done for us. And friends, this is the gospel. This is the connection between your wallet and your soul. With your wallet, you will never be able to buy salvation. Showing up to church, never going to be able to earn your salvation. Where do we find salvation? Where we look to Jesus who paid it all. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now, here's where it gets really good. When you believe that, when you say, yeah, completely with you, Owen, I agree, Jesus paid it all. When I saying that earlier, I meant every word of it. Like that, that is true in my life. Here's what happens internally. We are then able to rediscover the riches of God. Because before, we just want to use God. Before, created things, we're treating them as little gods. But when we see what Jesus has done for us, and, and friends, the freedom that the gospel brings, that no longer do I have to find life, true life within created things, I find it in God, what that gives us the freedom to do is to then enjoy the things that God has given us. When God blesses you with something, you say, God, thank you. Like, this is, this is a gift from you, and I receive it in that way, and we see that in material blessings, and then we see God's riches poured out on us, not through material blessings, but verses like Colossians 1.27, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2.3, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing and teaching one another. You know what's a beautiful thing? When someone has lived their life trying to find true life in money or work or worldly success, and they get to the end of their rope, and they say, God, you're my only hope. I put my trust in you. I believe that Jesus alone has paid the price for my life, for my sin, for my death. And then what happens is that person who has chased after worldly riches for so long begins to find true riches in the work of God's spirit in their heart. They find true riches when they just eat up the word of God. They want nothing more than to hear the word of God taught and spoken and sung. 
and they find joy and riches in church-based relationships where they, f- they chased business relationships for years and years and years and all they were finding there was people wanting to use them. And then they come into a community where they are accepted not because of what they can contribute, but because of who they are in Christ. That's a type of riches, richness and wealth that you won't find anywhere else except in Christ. And we see that poured out on us. Now the question is, how do we begin to live that out? What does it look like to live that as God's people? So the goal this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, as we begin to unpack some of these verses, I'm ultimately going to lead us to three phrases that I hope that you will write down and chant and think about and that they will guide the way you handle the resources God has given you. So you're making minimum wage, trying to get by, how do I handle that? God's been so good in terms of material blessings to your business or your family, how do I handle those things? First Timothy 6 puts us in the right direction. Now, first couple of verses are just setting the scene. So, so follow me here as we kind of set the scene for what's going on here. Verse 3, if anyone, this is 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound or healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Okay, so see this as we get into these verses. We're going to be talking about money. These verses are going to be talking about how do I handle money and material resources, but notice they begin with false teachings. The connection between false teaching and greed is so tight. Uh, If you don't believe me, turn on religious television, and, and you'll find that quickly. The connection between false teaching and greed is so tight. Watch what happens in the middle of verse four. This type of person that Paul is warning us about has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now I want you to see three cautions. These are not the three phrases, but these kind of set us up to go where we're going to go with these phrases. I want you to see, though, what happens in First and Second Timothy. There are these consistent cautions that Paul is putting out there before the church. Look at these. Paul says, put a limit on your quarrels and your controversies. Don't be driven by constant argumentation and quarreling and controversy. I hesitate to even say it, but it's out there. Do you know what it looks like to live in that type of world where people just constantly argue and there's dissension and quarreling about words? We, we feel that, right? And Paul says that the, the person of God puts a limit on that and says, I'm not gonna argue about everything. There are very few things, actually, that deserve the emotional energy that is involved to get into that type of controversy. There are limits on sex and power. You see the danger of this in Christian leadership and how quickly someone can be drawn away by this desire to have power over others and how that's shown in in illicit sexual relationships. Limits on financial greed. What was Paul warning about in the New Testament? Don't argue about everything. Be very careful of the dangers of sex and power and put limits on financial gain. Guess what gets us in trouble in the 21st century? Arguing about everything, illicit sex and power, and constant desire for financial gain. 
What have we been called to as the people of God, friends? When you know what it is for Jesus to pay for your sins, when you know what it is to be set free from living for the things of this world, we're called to humility, to self-control, and generosity. If I can think of anything that would want to characterize my family and my life and my church and the days ahead, God, let us be humble. Let us demonstrate self-control that comes from your spirit and let us be generous. Now, how do we get there? Phrase number one that I want you to chant to yourself. Enough is enough. <laughs> Phrase number one, chant to yourself. We're gonna see how these phrases come right from these verses. Phrase number one, enough is enough. First Timothy chapter six, starting there in verse six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And then you get that famous phrasing there in Philippians chapter four, where Paul is talking about how he has learned to be content in any and every circumstance, which is followed by the overly famous Philippians 4.13, that I have learned to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doing all things there is not the ability to fly or have supernatural powers. It's the ability to be content, to know that every good thing comes from the Lord. Those who know that Jesus has paid for their sins and those who have been set free by the good news of Jesus are able to say enough is enough. That our lives are characterized by contentment, not greed. And this theme, it runs all through scripture. It is just all over the pages of scripture. I wanna show you a few that really stood out to me as I was thinking about this week. Just kind of absorb these. We're not gonna go in depth with every one, but just absorb these as the teaching of God's word about what it means to be content, what it means that in your family, you're just gonna say enough is enough. We're not gonna be driven by accumulation and consumerism all the time. Leviticus chapter 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You think about Old Testament law and the way it reveals the heart of God and principles for the people of God. This verse just cuts against everything our culture, Western culture believes in. Think about this, that you've been told to go out and harvest your land. Don't worry about getting all of it. Don't worry about plowing right up to the edge. Don't worry about gathering every last piece of grain. You don't need it all. Leave it so others would be able to benefit. Be able to say with your work and your money and your possessions, you know what, I don't need all of this. Enough is enough. I'm going to leave this so that others can benefit from it. Proverbs chapter 30, verses eight through nine. The Proverbs speak a lot about money, obviously, but you have this here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So God, give me what I need, my daily bread, so I can trust you, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Uh, the three things are never satisfied, four Never say enough. Someone who trusts in the Lord is able to say enough is enough. So when I was reading these verses, 
I was thinking about that time that we thought it was a good idea to teach our kids baby sign language, um, and you teach them the more sign, you know, like more, 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 and they learn that really, really quickly. And so they sit in their high chair just constantly going more, 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 more. Guess how most of us live in life? We just live like this, like more, 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 like give, give, give. This idea of being able to say, no, God, you've given me what I need. Like enough is enough. Matthew chapter six, Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then one of Jesus' most famous parables about this, Luke chapter 12. Many of you know this parable. You've used it before, but, but be reminded of it this morning, how important this parable is. Luke 12, take care, Jesus says, and be on your guard against all greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You feel 1 Corinthians 15 coming through there. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. If that's not a parable that gets our attention in the world in which we live, how do we learn to say enough is enough? Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at how this is carried forward in verses 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, again, not money, but the love of money is a root, not the root, but a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Why do we need this reminder of enough is enough. Why do we need the reminder of contentment? Because if we're not careful, every one of us will find our hearts driven by greed. Every one of us will find ourselves thinking, I need more, I want more, I'm going to get more, and we just keep being driven by these things. And what we don't realize is where our heart is says so much about what's going on in our soul. And we have Jesus' reminder that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. That when we find ourselves accumulating and seeking after and continuing to desire more riches, that's exactly where our heart will end up going. And the Christian life, we know this, but we need the reminder, the Christian life is not about just doing all the right things on the outside. It is about what and whom we love. The Christian life is about God changed my life from the inside out. Let me crave and desire you so much more than I ever do the riches of this world. Phrase number one, the people of God know how to say enough is enough. Phrase number two, everything is from God, everything is for God. This is a phrase we use often at Emmaus, but it's a good reminder. Everything I have comes from God, therefore everything I have is for God. Jump down to verse 17 in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17, oops, next page for me. Uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them 
not to be haughty. It's impossible to say haughty without feeling haughty on, in that sense. But, so it's a word that means prideful. Uh, don't be prideful, but set your hopes, or, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The recognition that everything I have is from God. Now, pay attention here, because I think this is helpful, and, and frankly, many of us that have been around church a long time, we need this reminder. Two things will get us in trouble in this regard as, as people of God. Number one is greed. We've talked about that. We need to be able to say enough is enough. Do you know another thing that will get you in trouble? Is this idea of guilt. This constant self-imposed guilt that I shouldn't have these things. Um, so I, I look at a car or a house or some nice extra thing that I've been able to have in my life, and what do Christians do? If we're not careful, we self-impose guilt that God does not want his people to have these things. What, what does the end of verse 17 say? Everything of this, we put our hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to feel guilty about. No, no. What do we have? He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To say, God, I recognize that the reason I have this is because it is a gift from you. Set my heart free to thank you and to worship you and to use it for your purposes. Because you know what happens when you start to dig into references to joy in relation to our possessions? Where do we find our greatest joy? When we're able to use those possessions to bless other people. The greatest joy comes when we realize, God, you have given this, this job, this house, this car, this vacation option, whatever the case might be. God, you've given this. I enjoy it. I worship you. And God, I find the greatest joy when I can take these things and then serve other people, when I can care for the people around me. Look at the very next verse, verse 18. What do you do when you have these good things to enjoy, when you're not going to be greedy, but you're also not going to live with self-imposed worldly guilt? What do you do? Just do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. When we recognize that all of these things are from God, we will want to use them for God's glory, for God's purposes. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to share just to be able to do good for others. Proverbs chapter 31, that great reference to uh, this figure of, of wisdom, this, this female figure there in Proverbs 31. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. There are two ways to relate to your possessions. One, closed hands, close to the chest. I'm going to hold on to everything. I'm going to keep it tight. No one's taking this away from me. What does that feel like? Honestly, it feels pretty childish, doesn't it? We, none of us would want to be caught living in this way, closed hands, close to the chest. Or you have this woman in Proverbs 31. How is she living? Hands open, extended to those in need. God, everything I have is from you. Everything I have is for your purpose, to serve those around me, to do good for others, to bring glory to you. Matthew 25, that famous parable about the talents. The king will answer, as you did to one of the least of these you did to me. As the people of God, we want to battle greed by saying enough is enough. As the people of God, we want to be able to say everything I have is from God, so I want to use everything for God's purposes in a way that honor him and do good to others. 
Here's the third phrase. We talked about it last week. As the people of God, when we think about money, we want to have an eternal focus with daily faithfulness. God, when I think about money, when I think about my house and my car and my vacation and those type of things, eternal focus, daily faithfulness. Verse 19, thus, Paul says, if you live in this way, you will be storing up treasure for themselves, for yourselves, as a good foundation for the future, so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. This has so much of the Sermon on the Mount behind it, but you think about the Sermon on the Mount, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God, don't let us gain the whole world and lose our souls. Don't let us give our lives for something that is ultimately passing away. When we think about money, when we think about the material resources we have, help us to keep an eternal perspective. To know that these things are temporary and that we want to use these things to help point other people toward eternity, to remember how good you are. How do we keep an eternal focus? Well, just be faithful every day with what God has given you. God, today this is the money I have. Today, this is the home I live in. Today, this is the car I drive. Today, this is what you've given me. I want to be faithful before you, keeping an eternal focus. How will your life be different than those around you when you know that Jesus paid it all? You're going to constantly say, enough is enough. I don't need more. I have exactly what I need. If God gives me any more, I want to be able to give it away. Because everything I have is from God, and everything I have is for God. And the only way I can live that way is if I have an eternal focus and I remain faithful every day. So, what are some action steps? You say, okay, like, my heart's behind that, Owen. I, I, want, I want to do that. Let's, what's the next step? How do I get there? How do I understand the gift of limited resources? Well, let's start here. Just like we said last week, we're going to submit our schedule to the Lord. Let's start by submitting our budget to the Lord. God, <laughs> this is what I have. I want to be a good steward of it. We put this before you. The reason this is important is because guess when money can get out of hand? Around Christmas time. Um, and, and all of our kids decided to be born uh, around Christmas time. And so we're doing the whole like birthday Christmas double around, around this time of year. And, and finances can, can get out of hand. You're coming off a really crazy and hard year. You're also going into a new year, and, and all these tax things are in the back of your mind. You're trying to think, okay, how do I do better in 2021 than I did in 2020? How do I think about these things? God, I want to submit my budget before you. I want this time, maybe over the next couple of weeks, your family, if you live alone, that you say, you know what, over the next couple of weeks, an act of worship before God is that I need to step back and reassess finances, budget, resources, that is a holy act before a holy God when you do that with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your friends. God, how do I do this well in a way that honors you? Remember what we talked about last week? First things first. Where I put my first time usually indicates where the rest of the time is going to go. Guess what? It works the same thing with money. Where I put the first little bit of my money usually indicates where the rest is going to go. Be careful of a mentality of tithing that says, well, God gets his and then I'm going to use the rest for whatever I want to. That's not biblical stewardship. The tithe, giving first to the Lord, says, God, here's my heart. 
I give this, wanting you to use this as part of the church, as part of your people, and then every other dollar beyond that to be used for your purposes. That we are able, here's the other thing that's so big for us. So first things first, God, everything I have, I want to give first to kingdom endeavors through what you're doing. But the other thing is to be able to build margin into our budgets. If we're constantly strapped for time, it's hard to step back and serve somebody else. If we're constantly strapped for money, it's so frustrating because we want to be able to give to something extra, to be radically generous, and we just feel tied down. We don't have the freedom to be able to do that. When we build margin into our lives, that's an act of worship before God because when God puts an opportunity in front of us, we're able to say, hey, I can respond. And Emmaus, those of you who are watching at home and those in the room, this is where you excel, if I can just be honest. This is where you do so well that when, when Jim is talking about missions money and we're looking at our budget and we're thinking about the way Sunday school classes care for each other, if every single dollar is tied up, then when God puts an extra opportunity in front of us, we're like, man, we just don't have any margin to do that. But when people give consistently and faithfully and have built margin into their lives and into our church, then when God puts an opportunity in front of us, it's a no-brainer. Like, God, you have been generous to us. We're ready. We want to be able to respond right now by being generous to others. Teach us how to do that. And this goes back to this idea of learning to partner with and learn from others. I learned from my dad an amazing story about how when he was young in marriage, young family, he knew that he needed to make sure he had a good handle on finances and how does he prepare well for his family, my dad went to an older deacon in the church who he knew handled money well and said, could you teach me? I don't, teach me to tithe, teach me to save, teach me to care for my family. Man, what a great picture of the church. That someone who is newly married, has young kids, is a part of a multi-generational church and can look at someone older in the church and just say, could you give me an hour of your time? Teach me what it is to honor God with my money, that we're able to partner together. That as a church, there's a lot of endeavors that we give to. Guess what? There's a lot of endeavors that Amanda and I are able to give to that the whole church doesn't have to give to. There's a lot of missionaries and mission endeavors and programs that you give to that maybe the whole church doesn't give to. But what are we doing? We're partnering together to advance the gospel as part of God's kingdom. God, help us to partner together, help us to lock arms, and help us to remember everything we have is from you. And then finally, all of this drives us back to a focus on God's grace and the gospel. When we think about being generous to others, we remember how generous God has been to us. And we realize that it's ultimately not about just sharing material resources. What's it about sharing? It's about sharing the gospel. That as we live generously, what we want to share more than anything is the good news of Jesus who paid it all for every single one of us so that we could experience true life here and eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth where the unlimited riches of God will shine beyond anything we could ever imagine. Enough is enough. Everything is from God. Everything is for God. Eternal focus, daily faithfulness. Emmaus, you set an incredible example in this. I love being a part of this. It, it teaches me things. Let me pray for you. Pray a blessing over you, and then we're going to be dismissed. God, I pray if anyone listening today 
has maybe been turned away from the gospel or turned away from the good news of Jesus because of things they've seen related to money or power in church life, God, I pray that they would know that that's not the true gospel. God, I pray that they would know that Jesus paid it all. They would know how gracious and good he is. And God, that they would trust in you for salvation. And God, when we experience your salvation, we discover a type of wealth and riches that go beyond anything this world could ever provide. God, we want to be faithful to what you've given us. You've created a good world, a world that you love, and we want to enjoy that. God, we want to give you thanks, but we also realize that your work doesn't just stop with material things, God. You work in our heart and our soul and our mind and our relationships. God, help us as a church to be generous, to be radically generous in the way we relate to people around us. God, that that would be true of our families. God, teach us to give in a way that matches your word. And God, as we do these things, help us to maintain an eternal focus. God, when our focus is on eternity, it completely transforms the way we think about money and wealth and material resources. So God, give us that eternal focus. And God, thank you for the good gifts that you provided even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.